0: jesus christ as you come and worship him this morning and if you are joining us for elijah i'm glad to have you with us as well Uh, a few announcements uh, i want to make sure that you are aware of before we begin Uh, the first is that uh, our budget uh for well really the draft budget for 2024 is posted in the back wall so you're free to look at that um they have been sent out electronically as well if you did not receive it, then please let my let me or Brooke know so that we can get that to you as soon as possible. If you have any questions at all, uh, please let uh, please let the elders know so that we can get to you in a timely manner. Uh, and then November uh, the 18th, uh, there will be some projects to be done here in the churches this Saturday uh, from 9 to 11. So we could use some help in just sort of winterizing things, picking some things up here in the church and our grounds and facilities. So. If you are available or have any questions, uh, please let uh, Nancy Gentini know, Uh, but we could use some help with that here in our church. Um, And then lastly, actually two more things, November 19th uh, is our Thanksgiving fellowship here at the church. Uh, So there is a sign-up sheet down in the fellowship hall. Uh, I hope that you will consider bringing something along. The church will provide the main meal, which is the turkey. We just need a a person or two to cook the turkey, Um, but... Uh, we will have that here in the fellowship hall, and if you are, you're welcome to bring any guests along, anybody that wants to come and wants some free food, bring them along. We'd love to have them. We'll have plenty of food, and uh, during that time, we'll also have, uh, we'll work through our uh, our meeting as well. We're going to have that sort of a dual thing, a fellowship. Uh, we're going to have our meeting go over the budget, the budget for 2024, um, and use that also as a time for encouragement as well, to be able to share praises, encouragements that you have that you are thankful for, for the year 2023. So looking forward to, to meeting with you and hearing about those encouragements as well. Uh, and then, again, speaking of uh, 2024, um, we are starting to collect the prayer requests that will go into the prayer booklet for 2024. So uh, if, you, if you want to be prayed for uh, for all of next year, um, then submit a prayer request. Uh, send it to admin at sccnh.com. There's a sheet in the back table as well. You can write it down there. Again, this will be included in the prayer booklet. So, whether you are uh, a member or not, if you are here regularly attending, we'd love to have your prayer requests so that we know how to pray for you, and then we pray for those some of those things on Sunday mornings as well. Uh, So, anyways, those are all the announcements I have for us this morning. It is good to be with the Lord. And uh, I see a hand. Uh, Oh, next, haste, haste. Man, there's a lot of announcements. There's a baby shower for my wife on Saturday that others have planned. If you have any questions, don't see her. See Erin or Tatiana. There you go. I'm going to move on before someone else raises their hand. (laughs) Why do we come on Sunday mornings? It's It's not to hear a bunch of announcements, I know that. We come on Sunday mornings because we come for light. We come for strength. We come for encouragement. We come so that the Lord may be gracious to us and favor us and protect us from the schemes of the evil one. We come for reconciliation. We come for eternal life. And we find all of these things and more in the one person who is our Savior, Jesus Christ. So that is why we ultimately come. That is why we worship. That is why we sing praise. That is why we give ourselves to the Word. That is why we pray. We come because we find all those things in Christ Jesus, and so may, as we draw near to worship Him, may we find those things and much more in our precious Savior. So let us go before the Lord and let us worship Him. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand
1: before we uh, uh, we begin in singing. Uh, I want to share um, I want to share something with you guys. It's out of Peter, First uh, Peter, five verses six through eleven. Um, very quickly, um, just a way for us to prepare ourselves to worship. and says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting out all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him
2: In Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Lord, oh, what peace we often forfeit, oh, what needless pain we bear. Trials have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Yes, Lord, can we find a friend so faithful? the Lord of care. Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Blessed Savior, blessed Savior, Thou hast promised, Thou will all our burdens be. Praise and endless worship will be our sweet portion there.
1: From sorrows
2: deep I call When my hope is shaken Torn and ruined from the fall Hear my desperation For so long I've pled and prayed God come to my rescue Even so the thorn remains In my troubled soul, questions without answers. On my faith, these billows roll. God be now my shelter. Why are you cast out, my soul? Hope in Him who saves you. When the soul, Oh, my soul, put your hope in God, my help, my rock, I will praise Him. Sing, oh, sing, through the raging storm, you're still my God, my salvation. Mourn from me every worldly pleasure when all I possess is grief. God be then my treasure, be my vision in the night, be my hope and refuge till my faith is turned to sight. soul, oh my soul, put your hope in God. My help, my rock, I will praise Him. Sing, oh sing, through the raging storm, your shield You're still my God, my salvation.
1: God, as we, as we are gathered here this morning, your saints, Lord, cry out. We cry out words of praise. We sing truths, proclaim truths only, only because of Jesus. Father, I pray that as a church, we may stand on the foundation of Christ so that when we are in going through trials and temptations, We can be rest assured that you, Father, are victorious over it all and that you sustain us. Even in the midst of suffering, God, may our hearts still praise you. God, thank you for our time this morning. May we continue in worship. May you continue to lead us, Lord, in your word, in prayer, in true fellowship this morning. For you're worthy of our praise. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church, you may be seated. At this time, we'll be dismissing our children to their classrooms.
0: I'm going to read for us from John seventeen. Verse twenty four, before we spend some time in prayer. Before doing that, I something I really appreciate about the last song uh, that we sang is that it is it's very introspective. Uh, it's, very, it's very Davidic in the sense that when you read in the Psalms, when you read of, of David, he, uh, there's a recognition of the trials that he's going through, and he's also at the same time uh, talking to himself. Uh, there's, nothing, there's nothing lunatic about talking uh, to yourself, being introspective and in recognizing your own suffering, and at the same time, persuading yourself, and convic- convincing yourself, you must do this, however. You must praise. Uh, you have to sing. Put your hope in God. And I just, I love that about the Psalms, and I love that about the song that we just sang. Even as we consider that, I hope that we'll consider also these words in John 17 and the word uh, before us also. John 17:24. Jesus, as he's praying to the Father on behalf of his disciples, he says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Let's go to the Lord and let us pray. Lord, we we know that you are a loving and gracious God who sympathizes with our weaknesses. You are the one that is described to us in Isaiah, who is said to have borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. You are the faithful and merciful High Priest. You know our trials. You know our tragedies. You know our sufferings, Lord. You know our tears. You know all these things because you were well acquainted with them when you came unto this earth and you lived as a man and you suffered as a man and you died as a man. Lord, and it's hard for us to take what we know to be true according to your word and apply those things to our own heart. Sometimes it's hard for us to take your precious truths and convince ourselves that these things are true. Lord, would you help us this morning? Would you help your precious saints to take hold of your word? to remember the promises of your scriptures. And when their reality, when their experiences, tell them to stop placing their hope in God, Lord, that they might go to your word and go through the hard work of reminding themselves and convincing themselves that they must continue to trust in the Lord, that they have a God who does not forsake them or leave them. In this very passage, in John 17, as we consider the prayer of, John, of Jesus towards His disciples, including us, we see the very heart of Christ. His great desire is that His people would be with Him where He is. And there to see His glory. Lord, it would do well to consider the story of Joseph and the sufferings that he had gone through but the ways that you also favored him. And when he was finally met with his brothers, Lord, he called for his brothers to go and go to his father and bring back his father to go and see his honor. Why? So that he can bring greater attention to himself? Is it so so that he can grow in his own personal pride? It's not because of that. because for his father to see his son and to see his honor would be a place of rest. So also we see the heart of Christ towards sinners, towards sinners like us and praying to the Father that His desire would be for His people to be with Him, to see His glory. Yes, because He is worthy of that glory, because that glory is magnificent, because there is nothing that surpasses the greatness of that glory, but also because Jesus knows that for us to be with Him where He is would be a place where we can rest. And Father, we pray that in this life, as we wait for the answer to this prayer, as we wait for the day that we are united perfectly with Christ Jesus, help us, Lord, to see your glory, to see your glory in the Scriptures, to see your glory in the promises, to see your glory in the Gospel. To see your glory through answered prayer. To see your glory in the day-to-day as we go about our responsibilities, as some go through trials and tragedies and suffering. Let your saints see, even into the smallest degree, see some of that glory today. And as a result, come. To a place of rest. And Father, we pray this morning. We pray for rest for our brother Jay, for Courtney, for their family. We pray, Father, that your rest would be upon their hearts. In their minds and guarding them, Lord. Even though we know there is great joy and relief in knowing that you have welcomed our dear sister Jean into eternal glory, into your precious paradise, there, the bosom of the Father. Let us not remember that there is still this absence. And as, it, as difficult as it is for us, it is much more difficult for them. Lord, would you encourage them and you, would you strengthen them? Even in this, Lord, help them to see some semblances of your glory so they might rest, that they might be comforted. You draw near to the brokenhearted and to those who are crushed in spirit. That is the heart of Christ. We're thankful that we have such a precious Savior, a good shepherd of the sheep, and we know and trust that you will continue to shepherd them and protect them and guard them. And Lord, we pray for others in our midst, Lord, who are suffering their own battles in varying degrees. Would you encourage your precious saints, Lord? Provide grace for every trial. Remind them that they have a Savior who refuses to let them go. Cause your people to lie beside still waters. Cause them, Lord, to lie down by green pastures, even in the midst of trials and temptations and suffering. Father, we trust you for all these things. We're thankful that we have such a precious Savior. We come to you to find our hope, to find our encouragement, to find our strength. Lord, would you be gracious to us and give to us these things and much more according to your eternal grace, which never, ever runs out. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would please turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 7. Acts 7, verses 9 through 16. We're working through Acts, and now we are in Stephen's speech, or Stephen's sermon, as he's there before the religious authorities. He's been seized by the crowds who disagreed with him concerning Jesus, concerning Christ. And several, a couple of charges have been put before the religious authorities, false charges, and they ask him, how would you answer? How do you answer to these charges? And then we begin to see his answer to those charges, and he begins with a story, the presentation of biblical history, walking, working through Abraham, and he continues in answering to those false charges, and progresses the story Coming now to the story of Joseph. So, Acts chapter 7, beginning in verse 9. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and Jacob went down into Egypt and he died he and our fathers and they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem this is the word of the Lord father we pray that by your grace you would meet with us this morning that you would bless us and keep us and make your face shine brilliantly upon us as we give attention to your word and continue in worship through your word. Fill us with your spirit. Give to us your grace. Show us your divine favor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, dear saints, as I was considering the passage over this past week and thinking about it and praying over it, I noticed the strangest of subjects, the subject that I never thought I would come across as I studied this passage, a a subject that, quite frankly, at face value doesn't seem like it has anything to do with the passage, and that is the subject of math. And for some of you, math is probably pretty interesting. For some of you, you could care less. For the rest of you, like myself, you don't like math. bored by math. Math is like watching a snail cross a road. It's boring, causes you to fall asleep, a bit distasteful and eager for it to be run over by a much more interesting subject so you can move on to something else. However, as disinterested as some of you might be in the subject of math, you have my word that I think you'll find it much more interesting when you consider what the Bible has to say about the subject of math. You see, because God, we serve a glorious God. And we serve a God who knows how to do math. And gloriously so. There's a glorious and a good kind of math. And oppositely, there's an evil, an insidious and a sinful kind of math. And both are highlighted in the passage, in the reality of the passage, before us this morning. So before considering the glorious kind of math that, the God, that God does, let's first consider evil mathematics. In the subject of the Scriptures, the subject of theology and studying the Scriptures, there's something called typology, which is a symbolism. Symbols always represent something else. Typology is a a, a special kind of symbolism in the Scriptures. It's a prophetic kind of symbolism. It always points to something future. So if you think, in the Scriptures, the Old Testament, there are shadows, and those shadows point to something that casts that shadow in the New Testament. So for example, the flood is considered a form of typology, sorry, it's it's understood to be a kind of special prophetic symbolism according to the book of Peter in the New Testament. The flood, the Noahic flood that submerge all of the earth is intended to be representative or point to Christian baptism, submerged under the waters and come out and raised to new life in Christ Jesus. Another typology or another form of this kind of symbolism is Adam himself, Romans chapter 5, Verse 14 tells us that death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. In other words, Adam was a type of Christ, pointing ultimately to the person of Jesus Christ. Now, the scriptures, I think it's also helpful and important to consider parallels in the scriptures. Other things that are not necessarily typology, but other events or persons or offices that have these direct connections to other objects or offices or events in the New Testament. And the story of Joseph falls into that latter category of a direct parallel, I think. The subject of math really came to bear when I considered Genesis chapter 30 and how Joseph got his name. Genesis 30 verse 22, Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called this name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. And it struck me, I'm like, wow, Rachel is actually glorifying God in math. She's doing some math. Rachel second wife to Jacob. We had two wives, which is another story we won't get into right now, another issue. But, he had two wives, Leah and Rachel. Leah was able to conceive and had many children. Rachel was not able to have any children at all for a long period of time. And so there was a reproach that she carried, a shame, because she was not able to carry or bear her own children. The Lord had closed the womb, but the passage then tells that at some point, God favored her, and opened her womb, and she was able to finally have a son. And how does she respond? She says, God has taken away or subtracted my reproach, and in its place, she prays, may the Lord add to me another son. She has Joseph, and he prays, she prays, add another, Lord, which the Lord does. Stephen's speech brings us to the story of Joseph very briefly, very condensed. And in the story of Joseph, there is some evil mathematics that's going on. We have the patriarchs, right? Simeon, Judah, these are the ones that would establish the 12 tribes of Israel. And we see that they're guilty. They're guilty of what? They're guilty of subtracting their dear brother Joseph from their family because they were boiling with anger and jealousy. And it's not that Joseph was an innocent little dude. He was a kind of a brat. But this is a very sinful and evil kind of mathematics. They were so angry and jealous with their little brother Joseph that they decided to go sell him off as a slave in Egypt. Not only did they subtract their precious brother from their family, but they also subtracted joy from their dear father. And in that place, they added affliction, distress, and sorrow, which could have been relieved at any moment by just simply telling the truth. But they kept up the lie for years and years, adding only to the debt of their sin against God, against their brother, against their father. Sin in the scriptures is at times presented in mathematical terms. Colossians 2.13, for example, it says, And you who were dead in trespasses and sins, and this uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Every single person has a bank account, and it's not that they have a positive account or a zero in their balance, but it's a negative account. It's a negative balance. And that negative balance only increases more and more so over time as sin is increased. It's another charge to the credit card, adding to the debt taking away from what you actually make, and man thinks that they can cash in on their good works, but according to the Scriptures, that any good work that is done apart from faith, any good work that is not done with an eye of pleasing the Lord and to the glory of God, is actually only adding to the negative balance, to one's account. Joseph, the sin of his brothers, was subtracted from the family. And affliction was added to his life. And yet, secondly, we still see the divine favor of God. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with them. And God rescued him out of all his afflictions. And God gave him favor And God gave him wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. And then we see, again, the favor of God. We see the promise of God that was started early on in Stephen's speech, pointing to Abraham. Abraham received the promise of God that he would be, that through his seed, the nations of the earth would be blessed, and that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And the promise continues and carried through in the life of Joseph. And when we consider Joseph, one of the youngest amongst his brothers, loved by his father but most disliked by his brothers, sold off into Egypt, receiving affliction after affliction after affliction, we see that the favor of God was still with him. In the scriptures, we learn that God has this pattern of using people that we might least expect. It's not the strongest, it's not the greatest that God typically uses. It's the one that no one suspects. If you had, like you in high school, the, what do you call them, the the yearbook, and you have the pictures, and you have these different categories. Person most likely to do this, person who most likely to do that, or person least likely to do this, or so on. If you had a category like that, in a kind of yearbook, person who would be least likely to be used by God. You'd have on that list Joseph. You'd have Rahab, the prostitute. You'd have David, the ruddiest amongst his brothers. Fast forward, you'd have Saul, the persecutor of God's church. And there will also be a picture of me, of you, of all of us. you'll also find a picture of someone else in that category. Isaiah 53.2, passage that looks forward to Jesus, For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. So along with that, those pictures of all these individuals, and even you and I, we also see the face of Jesus Christ. Because when the world looks at this one, and they tried to picture in their own minds who is the Savior of the world, who might be strong enough, powerful enough to save people from the wrath of God, people might look at Jesus and they might say, it can't be Him. It's not Him. And along with God using those who are most likely to be used by God, there are also the ones who are favored by God, with His divine mercy. We consider the story of Joseph. It is not anything in him that made him worthy of that divine favor that he received. It was not because he was most afflicted that God had pity on him and decided to favor him. The Bible says in Romans chapter 9 that God has compassion on whom, whom He has compassion. He has mercy on whomever He has mercy. Affliction and suffering is not a prerequisite to receiving divine favor. The gospel is not a kind of job interview where you might be expected to sell yourself. Tell me what you have to bring to the table. Tell me what you have to offer. Tell me your skill, your talents, your gifts. Why should I hire you? The gospel is not a, gospel, it's not a job interview. It's actually quite the opposite. The gospel is about our recognition. There is nothing in us worthy of Of this divine favor and grace that God so freely and lavishly gives. The gospel is our recognizing our unworthiness to receive his salvation and forgiveness and eternal life. And the Lord giving it to us anyway. Upon Joseph's life was added affliction. And this reproach, this shame, this affliction, this suffering came from his own king, from his own family. But along the way, in those afflictions, God favors him and God adds favor amongst those he is with, favor with Pharaoh, So much favor that he is even put in the position of authority to rule over Egypt. So what we see in the life of Joseph is that he was afflicted for the purpose of a glorious addition, which is something else that we see in the scriptures. something that the Lord is really good at, math that God is really good at. When things are subtracted from our lives, God is very good at adding things in their place. Matthew nineteen twenty nine, for example, Jesus says, And everyone who has left houses and brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Anyone who has suffered any kind of subtraction in their life because of their following Jesus, because of their bearing the name of Christ, or for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus says that I will add to them much more. The Sermon on the Mount is a sermon about subtraction and addition. How does he begin that sermon? Jesus says there, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the weak, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be satisfied. We consider Christ Jesus and the subtractions that he endured. To suffer the subtractions that come through affliction, that come through the punishment crimes he did not commit, of suffering the agony that comes from being crucified to a cross, to his, even greater than all those things, experiencing the agonizing subtraction of no longer having the presence of God the Father with him in that dark hour. That you and I would have such a precious and loving Savior willingly put Himself through those painful and agonizing subtractions for our sake. It's almost beyond comprehension. That Jesus would suffer at the hands of those that He came to save. And then we see this, this parallel the life of Joseph, Joseph betrayed by whom his own kin, delivered up by his own family, betrayed, given up by those who have been most should have been most for him, are those who became his greatest enemy. And so Jesus would willingly come into the world to be betrayed by his own. That way I think the story of Joseph intended to prepare the way for the life, death, and glory of Jesus Christ. So then considering this divine favor upon one who is so afflicted considering the evil mathematics and sin and even in this passage, we can then turn to glorious mathematics, the kind of math we should all love and rejoice in. If we consider again the promise of God, original promise made to Abraham, there were threats to that very promise coming to fruition. First, there's the famine in all the land that threatened the very promise of God. There was no food for Jacob and his family to eat. And what could have been a moment where the promise of God would have ended there because of a simple famine... The Lord says no. And we consider another threat to the promise, which is the very family of Joseph being themselves opposers and enemies to the promise of God. God will not allow his promise to be extinguished right then and there. Again, there are parallels, the story of Joseph with the story of Christ Jesus. There's these concentric circles of betrayal, of affliction, of these painful subtractions that are there in the life of Christ Jesus. In John 1, verse 9, the true light, which is Jesus, which gives light into the world, or to everyone, was coming into the world, and He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know the light who created it. No, there's not just a recognition of this Creator, but it's also a rejection of this Creator. In that circle, comes even closer. Acts 2.22, for example, men of Israel, hear these words Peter preaches. To the crowd, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst that you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you turning to his audience, crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. It's without question that this was the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and then you, you who should have been most for Him, turned around and crucified Him. And that circle it gets even closer when you consider that Jesus' own brothers at some point rejected Jesus. And the circle gets even closer when you consider the twelve, His closest friends that He walked with for three years, one of His own, Judas, betraying Him. And yet, in these unexpected ways, you still see the blessing of God shine through. You see it in the life of Joseph. You see it more vividly in the life of Christ Jesus, the one man for the many. The story of Joseph helps to illustrate the story of Jesus Christ, to help us prepare for the story of Jesus Christ because there's direct parallels between each story. In the story of Joseph we see that as the brothers come to Joseph at first not recognizing their own brother and it wasn't until the second time that they come when Joseph finally reveals himself to his brothers that they recognize that their Savior is actually their own brother. That this salvation that God provides doesn't come through a legion of armies doesn't come Through soldiers or great weapons or multiple saviors, it comes through one man. And this salvation, it's a tangible salvation, meeting a tangible need, providing food for those who would have died without it. But we see in the life of Jesus, there's a much richer salvation that he provides, satisfying a greater need than the need for food and sustenance. The story of Joseph, the story of Jesus, points to the great story of the Bible, that one man in place of the many, that one person comes to the rescue of many others. I love the story of Jonah. We worked through the the chapters of Jonah before. We have one man, the renegade prophet, in the sea with the other mariners. God, angry with his prophet, hurls a great tempest into the, the sea and he's causing the oceans to to put their mariners at risk. They're in danger of losing their lives, and they don't know if they're going to see another light of day. They don't know if they're going to see tomorrow. They don't know if they'll be able to go back to their homes and kiss their wives and be with their kids. And suddenly we have this Jonah, this prophet, who says, men, there's only one way that you can save yourselves, and that is by subtracting me from your midst. You need to throw me overboard, and only then will God spare the rest of you. And this is another story that points us to the greater story of Jesus Christ who provides salvation not through multiple saviors, not through a legion of angels, but through himself. One man in place of the many makes sense of that math. That one life would be given up, extinguished in order to save the many. That this Jesus would come into the world for this purpose and that many would reject Him and that many would not recognize Him and yet still go through with this math for the glory of God for the salvation of many. But just as the brothers did not recognize Joseph until the second time when Joseph finally revealed himself, there will come a time when all those who have rejected Jesus and did not recognize Jesus for who he was in his first coming will recognize him surely for his second coming. Matthew twenty-four, twenty-nine says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, and the stars the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Men, the sign, the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Why? Because they failed to recognize Jesus, who, who he was the first time. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Know this, if you are here this morning and you have yet to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and have yet to recognize Jesus as the Savior of the world, there will come a time when Jesus will come again and then you will recognize him and by that point it will be too late. That is why you need to save yourself now. Trust in Christ now. Believe in Christ Jesus now for the salvation of your sins. For He will return again. And it's going to be clear to everybody that this is the one and only the Son of God. The point that Peter, or sorry, that Stephen is making here is to identify those who arrested him and these religious authorities and connect them to the patriarchs, connect them to every person throughout biblical history who was an enemy of the promise of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's his aim here. And that while you rejected your Messiah, while you rejected the Savior before, and even tried to subtract from us the relief that would come through His salvation, which you were unable to do, there will come a time where you will recognize Him and it will be too late. And that God preserves His promise no matter how many afflictions, no matter how agonizing the subtractions come against this promise, God will always keep His promise to the very end and will see it through to the very end. That takes us to fourth and lastly the preservation of the promise. We've seen the story of Joseph that salvation came through the famine. That the promise, the preservation of the promise, came through the famine. Jacob could have died with his family, but he heard that there was food in Egypt, which, by the way, is quite striking because we would expect the divine favor of God to be most concentrated with Jacob and his family. And it's not that God had abandoned them, the story of Jacob takes a shift to focus on Joseph, and there we see the favor of God most concentrated in the place that you would expect it the least, in a pagan nation. And it is through this way that God keeps his promise, saves his people. And so when they come to their brother, rather than Joseph making them pay their debt for what they did to him, He shows them mercy and clears their debt like Jesus does with every single one of those who come to Him in faith and repentance. God's pattern is taking ordinary individuals and providing extraordinary salvation. God's means or pattern is to take these ordinary events and use them to bring about spectacular salvation. And certainly, Jesus is extraordinary because He is the very Son of God, but let us not forget that He was also fully man, who was despised and rejected, and there was no beauty about Him that anybody should desire Him or think that He is the one who would bring salvation. In that sense, He was ordinary. And even through Him, The Lord brought salvation. So, as we consider these things, I think the great lesson for us is to continue to trust in the Lord when things don't add up. In this life, we suffer through severe subtractions and we go through agonizing additions. For some, even here, it's a subtraction, perhaps, of physical health, and in its place, added disease or illness. Perhaps it's a subtraction of some semblance of mental health. Our church has been certainly through trials. And afflictions this year as we have suffered through painful subtractions of those who have gone on to be with the Lord. And some of you also on a personal level have suffered these severe subtractions. For some of you, some days are better than others. You have no idea what your day is going to be like until you wake up in the day. What can I say to encourage you? Here's at least three attempts to try to encourage us this morning. Attempt number one, consider Christ's enduring painful subtractions. Consider what He was willing to go through for your sake and mine, was Rene Descartes who said, "I think, therefore I am." Struggling with his own identity, wondering if he is really alive, he doubts his own existence, and therefore he has assurance that he is alive. Someone else took those words and said it a little bit differently. How do I know that I'm alive? This person says, "I suffer, therefore I am." In a way, he's saying, "To be human is to suffer." all humans suffer. You can't escape some form of suffering. You just can't. There's the pain of the life that we live, the pain of this world that we live in, the pain of sin and its tragic effects upon the world. And if that is the case, if to be human is to suffer, then Jesus is very human. Given the rejection Of the world, the rejection of his own family, the rejection of his own kin, the rejection of his own friend, and the agonies that he endured on the cross, and the painful separation that he had gone through, and no longer being in the presence of the Father, and to think that Jesus did this for your sake—if I had lost an arm. I would never expect you or ask you to cut off your own arm so that you can identify with me, so you can sympathize with me, so you can suffer with me. No one one would ask anyone to do that. But here is Jesus, who certainly, because He is God, knows all things, but enters into Into humanity, becomes human himself so that he can save us from our sins and also so that he can understand the suffering that you go through. You have a Savior who suffers with you, who understands your plight, who understands personally your agony. Intends to love you through it. Attempt number two. This would be a strange one, but I am. I find it quite odd when you consider two seeds. You consider one seed left out alone on the ground, receive directly the light of the sun and the warmth of its rays. And yet, that's not where it grows. In fact, it has greater risk of being devoured by the birds of the air. But the kind of seed that does the growing is the one that's dug under the ground. In darkness, in gloom, in dampness. And somehow it still receives the energy of the sun and there under the ground is where it does its growth. And soon it sprouts, breaks through the ground. It begins to grow and produce and bear fruit. Life for you may be like that second seed where it seems like it's gloom, it's damp, it's dark just know that there in that darkness, the Lord still shines His brilliant light. And though you may not immediately recognize it or even feel it, it is carrying you through and it is sustaining you. And the Lord is going to con- cause it to grow and bear fruit and even perhaps produce a harvest of the glory of his name. Thirdly, remember that the Lord, the Lord knows his math. In Joseph, we see a pattern of affliction giving way to these glorious additions. Another one is Job, who suffered painful subtractions in his life, and at the very end, the Lord added much more than what He had before. And the stories are not intended to be prescriptive as a way of, that we should expect similar outcomes, but we should expect a similar pattern. That when things are taken away from us, the Lord knows how to add in its place. Not only that, but the Lord knows how to multiply. Second Corinthians 4.16 says, says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. But this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This light momentary affliction, these subtractions are preparing for us a multiplication of eternal glory is the promise that's there similarly Romans 18 for I consider the sufferings or the painful subtractions of this life are not worth comparing to the glory the multiplication of glory that is to be revealed to us and God does not conclude subtracting and adding when we come into paradise this is differently applied For example, God subtracts sorrow, he subtracts pain, he subtracts suffering, he subtracts illness, he subtracts evil, he subtracts sin, and in its place he adds joy, he adds rest, He adds comfort. He adds perfect health. He adds glorified body. He adds eternal life. And the Lord knows how to add today for what you need to get you through the end of the day. He knows exactly what you need. Don't worry about tomorrow and how you're going to get through tomorrow. There's grace for tomorrow that's ready and waiting for you for tomorrow. The Lord provides grace on a daily basis and He never runs out. His bank never runs out. It never goes to zero and never goes to negative. His bank is always on the positive when it comes to grace and there's always grace provided for each and every day. Exactly the amount that you need to get you by. And you can rest assured that the following day there will be more grace. Because He is a loving Father. And if I may add one more thing. For those of you who are in the positive, for those who may not, by the grace of God, are not necessarily experiencing any painful subtractions in your life and things by the grace of God are going well, you are in strength, you are in vigor, you are zeal for the Lord, you have a semblance of peace and rest, knowing that God is with you. I'm reminded of what Jesus says to Peter when he predicts how he's going to turn away from the Lord and deny Him three times. He says to him, when you are returned, strengthen your brothers. Strengthen one another. Be like Moses' helpers who helped to carry his hands up towards the sky as the armies of Israel were fighting. Be those hands that lift up one another. Encourage one another. Strengthen one another. Bring the words to bear in each other's lives. Pray for each other. Encourage each other in this way. It's what the body of Christ is for. Well, I am no mathematician. I was actually more of a, a D-plus student in school. But there is a kind of math that I really love, and it is this kind of math, the kind of math that God does. Let us understand intimately and personally, and even expertly, this kind of math that we see in the Scriptures. We serve a God who is a loving Father. That while we certainly experience the painful subtractions in this life, the Lord knows how to add. And the Lord knows how to multiply to so the encouragement of the saints and to the glory of his own name. Let's pray. Lord Jesus the reason we can have anything today, the reason why we can have so many blessings added to us and even multiplied to us is because of you. Because you are willing to suffer the painful and agonizing subtractions to come with affliction and suffering. Anything that we have today, all the blessings that we have today come through your divine grace. We thank you, Lord. Lord, continue to favor us. Continue to shine your brilliant face upon us. Multiply your blessings to us. Multiply your rest, your peace, your comfort to those who most desperately need it in this hour. Help us to continue to look to you And we who are stronger, help us to to look and be aware of those who may be weaker for various reasons. Help us, by your grace and by your Spirit, to lift up their hands when they are tired, to strengthen them when they are weak. We thank you for your divine grace towards us continue to lavish that grace upon us as your precious people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Church, let's stand in response of uh, today's message. As we normally do, let us sing unto the Lord, uh, it is well with my soul. Amen. Bye. gift is our salvation father father thank you for your son jesus our savior lord may we consider jesus jesus's sufferings lord for our sins and understand god the divine favor and love that you have for your people. Lord, I, I ask you that you may remind us of the sustenance that you provide because of Jesus. And we not lose heart in the midst of these worldly afflictions, yet instead, Help us, Lord, to hold fast to your promises, Lord. May we rejoice and find joy in your daily and consistent grace. May you add. Forever blessings over your church. Lord, you are worthy of our praise. It is in spirit and in truth that we worship you, Father. We thank you, worthy of our praise, God. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Today's benediction comes from uh, Romans eight thirty eight through 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Be encouraged, church. You are dismissed.